Ladies and gentlemen, my name is Giancarlo from the film consulting and promoting initiative Felix Martyr Society. Now, let's start the show. This is Anthony Alex from the Angry Mailman podcast, and you're listening to another fine show from the From Page to Screen media empire. Hey guys, this is Ace Marrero from the movie Madison County. Hi, this is David L.G. Hughes, writer-director of the film Hall Bowl Suites. I love the pace and the fastness, and I love the fact that you just roll with it. Hi, I'm Eric England, the director of Contracted. Hi, I'm David Amaru, the writer-director of The Asian. My name is Nathan Whitehead, and I wrote the music for Beyond Skyline. Hello, Stuart. Just a quick hello from Sarah Douglas. Hi, this is Ben Lloyd Holmes from the film The Expedition. This is Dominic Burns, the director of Allies. Hey, Stuart. Page the screen. .com up in my bunk. Snake. Yeah, that's my motorcycle running and tracking over my fucking snake. Genius. With Dom, eating pizza, and pussy. I'm Neil Johnson, I directed Rogue Warrior and The Time War, and I crucified Adolf Hitler. The From Page to Screen Moviecast. Hi, so sorry I couldn't find you. It's okay, I, I wasn't purposely hiding on Skype, but just for some reason it wasn't coming up with uh, any notifications, but well, I managed to track you down, so that is good. How's things, Liz? Oh my gosh, you caught me. That's the reason I said I was going to be five late is I'm like negotiating my next job via email and I'm like pers- like being incredibly neurotic about every single word in this email to send to my potential future boss. So um, things are going okay, but I'm just like neurotic right now. And is every single word in its place and every single bit of puncture, <laughs> is it all done? Is the email gone? I've not sent the email yet because... Uh, they asked the salary expectations, and I'm just like, that is such a loaded question. I don't <laughs> know. I don't like because if you say too low, you're low bollied. If you say yeah. too high, you're you kick yourself out of the running. What do you say? I have no idea. I always just ask my friends. It's like because I my I do a lot of different things, but my main focus is just helping filmmakers publicize themselves. But so cool. I don't do it as a job. I just do it because I've always loved movies and stuff like that. And a few years ago, somebody said, oh, does, does this person that wants to hire you, how much would you charge for your services? And I had no idea. So I'm thinking, well, what, people would pay me for this? This is very, I have no idea. And I and ended like, what up. What would you pay me? Like, like, that's the better question. What would they pay me? Yeah, I just want to say, like, what do you think I'm worth? But then it's the low ball then, because they'll go like $10. And you go, done. I'll have it. I'm happy. I've just got $10 for like three weeks work or something. It's it's it is it's a it's a loaded question, isn't it? If you go in and go, I want a thousand dollars a day, they'll go, no chance. We were thinking fifty, <laughs> and if you go in with fifty, they go, wow, we were going to pay you a thousand. It's a horrible so question. My strategy is to tell them essentially what I'm making now, and just say it'd be hard to leave for less than that. Yeah, and. It, at least it's honest and at least it's transparent, but it's certainly not strategic at all. No, because you so often hear of people going, well, I'm going to give this high number. And next thing you know, <laughs> they oh, I didn't get the job. <laughs> I know, I know. Well, thank you for being dragged into me or for acquiescing me, dragging you into my drama right now. I might, You might be hearing a send button at some point if I get really you know, impulsive yeah. during this conversation. That's okay. I think I think we can cope with a send button 
Okay. A little beep in the background. It's fine. These these, right. these conversations slash podcast things very very minimal editing. I've never been a fan of. And right now, I'm going to put these into three weeks of post production because it's right. I it, agree. It, it's a conversation that just happens to be recorded, and everybody else listens to it and is is suitably entertained. So you know, <laughs> I'm not CNN, so I don't need to put. I don't know. I'm not in a studio. I'm in my house. Well, good. Then you're comfortable. And that's the important thing. I am comfortable. I finished. Uh, I work nights. This is why when we were talking about the schedule, it's like, well, here's the days I'm free this week. And here's the days yeah. I'm free the week after. So I work four nights on and then I get like four point something days off. And then I start the other four. So the, the days off each week are different. So What this, do you do? Like, I, what's your... I, it's customer service. So it's non-media related, okay. unfortunately. That's okay. But it's a job. It pays the bills and allows me to podcast and, you know, make films and all that sort of stuff. So, but uh, it, it bores me to tears because I, I have no passion for anything that isn't media related. It's it's a curse sometimes because <laughs> there's not that many film jobs where people go, oh, we need you. We'll give you a nice big salary to do what you do. <laughs> but But one day, you never know. I hope so. Hope but for all of us. I uh, finished work at eight o'clock this morning, and it's now five o'clock. Oh this, my god! Uh, in the evening, where I in the UK, where I am, I have not been to sleep because I decided to stay up. And <laughs> before I finished work at eight o'clock this morning, I started work at nine o'clock the previous night. So <gasps> I'm uh, I'm training to be the new Jack Bauer, I think, and stay <laughs> up for twenty four hours. Well, is this going to be just a delirious conversation? You think then? No, I think I'll be fine. I, oh, okay. I want, years and years ago, I decided to see how long I could stay awake for, and it was three days, so I'm okay for one. Okay. I could cope for one. After three days, you kind of start to hallucinate and get a bit weird, so I thought, oh, I need to go to sleep, or something seriously bad's going to happen if I stay up any longer, so... Oh my god, after like 20 hours, I am like having panic attacks and like rocking back and forth in a corner somewhere, so I, I commend you. Well, hopefully, don't ever stay up for 20-odd hours and then do this very important email that you've just done. That would right. probably not be wise, would it? I know. Oh, the email. The email, steward is driving me crazy. Um, well, let's talk about something else so I don't have to think about yeah. the email. I, firstly, because I, I never like to butcher people's names. I would never do it on purpose. How do you pronounce your surname, Liz? It's Manischel, like man, it's a shell, Manischel. Really? That was one of my guesses, so that that's yeah. good. Because there's nothing worse if you pronounce somebody's name wrong and then they go, oh, no, it's actually this. You can't take it back. <laughs> You've kind of ruined the name oh, and then care. that's all you ever think of is it's not an easy I ruined name. Liz's name. <laughs> <laughs> you could say it any way you want. It really doesn't matter to me. Um, I just like that it's there and it exists. So I was looking over your nice website today. Oh, cool. Which is good. There is a lot of information on there, which is good. That's definitely what you want yeah. out of a website, I think. But yeah. you, you are not a person with just one hat. Or you've worn many hats and you still wear many hats. Yeah, I'm working on, I'm going to do a new website uh, to concentrate on just directing. But yes, I work at Sundance. I consult. I do public speaking. But the whole thing is that like, I'm a filmmaker who wants to help just like you support other creators and then share the information I know. So everything comes from that. So, I mean, you've done, you went to USC, you've done a lot. I mean, my studying was DVDs, VHS, video stores and, and watching movies at the cinema and reading magazines and stuff. But you've done the proper, the, the proper education with media. When did you first 
fall in love with the movies and was there was there a set of movies or or one in particular where you thought you know what I think I love films um I was really shy kid and I I remember people told me um later on in life that I didn't talk at all which is obviously not true now uh but um I just really like I was bad at making friends probably at a young age and just went to the video store all the time to watch movies as like company. And then, um, and then I decided I wanted to be an actress. So then I watched movies as like research and then I decided I wanted to be a director. So then I watched movies as research in a different way. So it was like, like a friend, I guess, if that makes sense. And, um, I specifically was gravitated towards romantic comedies and um, comedies and romantic comedies because I just they, they gave me like a little high, like when the couple got together. And I think I got a little bit addicted to that high. So uh, things like that, like Nora Ephron and um, I love Nicole Holof Center and just these wordy, neurotic uh, rom-com type movies. I think when I we sound kind of similar, I think, but uh, you know when I used to watch films as a, as a child, I would gravitate towards more like a teenager. When I was watching a lot of the John Hughes films, mm, you know, some kind of wonderful, amazing. pretty epic. I would watch it and go, "That's so. That's what real life is. That's the yeah. life that I would like, but I don't have." So for me, it was uh, it was like looking inside a goldfish bowl for, for uh, movies for me. So that's how I learned. That's how I learned to socialize by watching what people did on films because I was very closed off as a child barely spoke to anybody at school that sort of thing yeah. so it's uh, yeah thankfully I can talk now so I, I don't shut up very often <laughs> but that's how I feel <laughs> like I don't know what did the movies do to me they made me a chatterbox well um, I just described them as my comfort zone I think I've described films as as my comfort zone, and you know, a cinema used to be like my church, so to speak. I would go there and just sit in the dark and watch whatever stories it was uh, unfolding felt, on the screen. I feel exactly the same way. I remember I went to movies alone when I was in high school because, like, I don't know, I, I don't, I, I think I thought it was really cool to go to a movie by myself. And I remember sitting in the theater and looking up at that like dust light from the projection booth to the yeah. screen, and just thinking like this. This is really magical. Um, and it does feel like a somewhat religious experience when you see a fantastic film. So I get that. It does. I mean, films are escapism. I think everybody knows that. I knew it. But, but for me, it was definitely escape. So my real life wasn't too much fun when I was growing up. And I would just take myself off to cinema. I think from the age of maybe seven or eight years old, I would just you know disappear for the day and, and do that thing that I don't think you get away with nowadays, but you would buy one ticket and then you would just jump from screen to screen and watch all three or four films that were on <laughs> in the uh, in the <laughs> multiplex. Now I think they're a bit stricter, but you know when I was I growing up in the 70s and 80s, I could get away with that. I think they're just as bad as they used to be because we went to go see a movie last. We went to see Avengers a few months ago and no one was at the multiplex and no one was watching us. So we really could have just slept, you know, slept into another theater. But maybe two more people in that theater would have been really um, suspicious. Yeah. You always get somebody that would spot you. Go on, hang on a minute. I saw you at nine o'clock this morning. Why are you still here wearing the same clothes? (laughs) So it was... uh, I'd, I'd seen on your website that you you described yourself as uh, working with micro budgets. Yes. What is the most micro budget you've 
ever worked with. I think so. Just to sort of throw mine in, because I'll give you my answers while I get your yeah. answers and stuff. Is I think maybe about eighty. 80 pounds, which is probably about $120, I think is the cheapest one I've done. Luckily, I owned the equipment and, oh, and I brokered yeah. a deal with the cast. <laughs> so it was. Was it know. a feature? And no, it's a short film. But still. So probably about um, 25 minutes. But yeah. Well, at USC, we have a contract with SAG AFTRA. So you mm-hmm. don't actually have to pay actors when you go to USC film school and you get production insurance. So all my shorts through USC were like essentially free. But um, I work in the feature micro-budget space, and I use the word micro-budget as $250,000 U.S. dollars and below. Um, I don't know the math. I used to know the math because the pound used to have a different relation. Anyway, Um, (laughs) I don't know the math anymore. Could you convert Um, that? I think $250,000 would maybe be... uh, like 180,000 pounds or something like okay. that. It's, yeah, that's not what I thought micro budget would be. If somebody, I, I don't even know how I would cope if somebody said, I will give you that amount to make a film. My brain would just explode. I think I wouldn't know, know what to do with it yet. You think it'd be too much or too, li- too little? I think too it little? would be, I think it would be too much. It was. Oh, that's uh, so funny. Yeah. And that's probably because I'm at the stage where I don't really know what I'm doing yet, <laughs> which I'm, I'm happy to say because it's the, the trilogy of short films i'm putting together i've i've written them cast them filming them editing them and i've got people that give me advice and helping me out with that but effectively it's just like me that's doing 99 percent of this stuff so i don't know all these extra things that probably i'm supposed to do but i'm not aware of them yet until somebody says have you thought about this i'm like didn't know i had to do that so it's uh that, that that would scare me that amount of money you're doing you're doing it right. There's no supposed to, um, as far as I'm concerned. Well, for the talent that I have access to, and for the scope of the films, it, it's a very low budget uh, compared to most people. My, you know, the peers working in the same space that I have, yeah. but uh, yeah, it is a lot of money. I mean, it's like way more than my salary, way more than money I have in the bank. It's money that I've never seen all at once you know aggregated I never think of it as mine but it's the money that I somehow uh you know clumps together yeah. to, to make these films it's it's uh I am finding the whole filmmaking adventure because I've publicized hundreds and hundreds of films and it's like yeah they're doing this and they're doing that but to actually then go right I'm going to put one together it's the scariest thing in the world but it's so <laughs> exciting it's scary and exciting exactly at the same time I find it really painful um, until I get to brag about having made one. So, like, my favorite part of filmmaking is, like, right now, the movie's done. I'm submitting to festivals. I'm cutting the trailer. I'm figuring out distribution. Like, all the things that involve just, like, bragging that you've done it are all the things I like to do. But actually, like, I meet so many filmmakers who are like, I love being on set or, oh, writing is so fun. It's like... I think all of it is incredibly painful until the end, yeah. and then it's all worth it. I think it's what I discovered was, oh look, I've got all the plans. This is how this is how the entire day will go. Right? Oh, now we're here. <laughs> I might as well get rid of that plan. <laughs> Just, right. you know, you've you've definitely got to be able to sail with the wind. I think and, and go in very different directions. And as a director, everyone kind of just looks to you for the answer for everything. And that's a lot of pressure and that's a lot of 
excitement for some people, um, but also a lot of fear <laughs> comes yeah. into that too. So it's tough. I, uh, I shot the first, it, it started off as one short film and then sort of the uh, the lead actress said, you know what, I've always wanted to shoot in a specific location. And I went, oh, I'll leave it with me, I'll write one for you. So I wrote the second one and that was Aww. shot entirely in this location. And then I came up with a third one. So I'm like, right, this can be a trilogy thing. And um, I ran a, an Indiegogo campaign like two years ago, I think, for it. And I raised, I think it was about £2,000, which is probably about two and a half thousand dollars give or take yeah. and with that i went out and bought every piece of camera equipment that i would need and audio equipment and microphones and tripods and batteries so it, i i own effectively my own little studio so. i love that i mean that's the type of filmmaker that so i work at sundance and um you know every now and then i used to run this uh fellowship and the type of filmmaker that i always want to support is that grassroots diy make it at all, you know, not at all costs, but make yeah. it sacrifice that type of filmmaker. Cause I, I love that, um, it comes from a place of passion and love rather than this, this desire for commercialism, which I think can be, um, boring and dangerous at the same time. Well, I'm, uh, I'm at the point where, where I know a lot of filmmakers and it scares me today. I mean, these people make proper movies they make proper films and they will message me going how's your film coming along and i'm thinking it's doing okay it's you know i've, I've got to start <laughs> editing at some point you go oh i can't wait to see it but like, don't say that please you make proper <laughs> films don't don't be watching mine I, it scares me to death that people would watch and it will get easier i suppose the more that i do these things but i'd uh, i'd shot the entire first film in about eight hours one nice. in, a, in a single day this thing and um, I didn't look at the footage for like two weeks because I thought I don't want to look at it because it's all going to be blurred and it, it's all going to be terrible and it's awful. And <laughs> I ended up looking at it by accident. I'm like, right, I need to copy it. Let's just see if the computer will play that. Oh, that actually looks clear. That, but that shot looks quite good. Let me just check another one. And I've looked at it all and it does look good. But I was petrified. I thought, I've wasted everybody's time. Well, what am I going to do? How am I going to get around this? What's everybody going to think? And it was... Well, it's uh, like I, imposter syndrome. Like, you just yeah. feel like you're, you're... Yeah, I mean, that's super normal. I don't think that goes away. I'm sure the quote-unquote proper filmmakers you talk to feel the exact same way every single day, too. I, I, would, I would bet money on it. Well, I did a podcast last week with a guy who he's been a production assistant on everything, like you know the Matrix movies and Southland Tales and all sorts. And, and periodically, Sean and I will do a podcast and we'll we'll chat. And I was talking to him about it, and he said, "Oh, I, was, I did the short film once, and oh, I didn't look at the footage for ages because I thought it's all going to come out blurred." And I'm like, "Yes, yeah. it's not just me. Somebody." So, as you said, it it seems to be that's kind of normal so it was nice to hear that it wasn't just something I'd invented that I was petrified <laughs> to look at this footage well I mean like when I because I write my my films as well and and as it sounds like you do too and mm. um I always think it's like so thrilling when I write something just really so intensely personal or so zany and everyone takes it so seriously that they ask me follow-up questions about it. And I'm just like, oh, really? You're taking this seriously? Like, why are you even thinking about this for more than half a second? That's so crazy to me. Um, so, yeah, it's this constant, I don't know, filmmakers, I think there's a lot of there's self-esteem, there's confidence issues, there's um, there's a whole lot going on with us <laughs> to contribute to all, this, all these anxieties. 
I remember um, I mean, a publicity and, and stuff like that. So I would get a lot of filmmakers who would send me their film. Go, you know, I would. I'm interested to hear your thoughts. I'm thinking, why? Okay, fair enough. I don't mind. It's um, I'll, I'll watch a film and I'll review it for you, and then I'll say, right, the review's done. I'll send you a, a copy of it, and you can have a look. And they're like, oh, I was really nervous. I'm like, why are you nervous about me watching your film? Why? I don't. So it's mm. it's a fascinating world. But. Oh, I would totally be nervous. I, I get nervous every time someone reviews. And then like, because I used to be a critic. Mm. And when I was a critic, um, it was so fun. It like, it wasn't fun, but it was like, easy to rip apart a film. And it was hard to be in that middle area. So I just keep waiting for like them to just tear my film apart, because it's somewhat like more enjoyable for them to just shred it to pieces that it is to find like the quality in it somehow. Um, so yeah, I'm constantly worried about whoever, even if it, I had like a high schooler review my film and I was just like, Oh, I wonder, I hope they like it. I'm sure they did. Hopefully they did. did they? <laughs> I hope so. I hope so. Um, it was my first film and they did. Yeah. They, Good. but they, that I think cause they knew I was reading it. <laughs> I think they might've tempered their review a little bit. Oh, well, but it's, I mean, the the internet culture of tearing films apart, I, I, it seems to get worse. I think the internet gets very grumpy at least once a week on something now. It just, it's. I mean, I love movies, but if I watch a movie that I don't like, I just go, oh, do you know what? Didn't like it. Terrible. I don't get really angry about it, and I don't yeah. understand why the internet feels the need to get super angry about casting or or box office takings or or oh they're going to remake something from 30 years ago let's get really angry and venomous i've never never understood the energy that goes into the the negativity side but just do you think that's getting worse or is it just people Um, seem to be aware of it a little bit more i guess i seem to be paying less attention to it i just had a baby a few months ago and so like i don't notice certain things that i was super aware of um, before the baby came along. But I almost, I, I can understand where the venom comes from because like one of the other reasons I work in micro budget is because it's not as wasteful. And I really wish I could pay my crew members a little bit more. It's not wastefulness in terms of salaries, but like the way celebrities are treated in Hollywood and the way um, just everything is overinflated on a big budget film, like these Marvel movies or these, you know, whatever it is. And so I think there's a lot at stake because the salaries are so high and the budgets are so high that like every decision should be a very thoughtful decision taking into the entire enterprise and, you know, length of these, um, you know, these comic books and casting should be really thoughtful. And so I, I kind of understand the anger, but that's what I love about micro budget is that you can experiment and no one's like yelling at you. <laughs> like no one's like spitting at you, uh, spitting on you through Twitter or anything like that. Yeah. And you know, unless you are a, a fast and the furious or a, or a Tom Cruise movie or, or something like that, then you can kind of, you can get away with a little bit more. I think. Can't you? Yeah. You get celebrated just for being in the indie world, even if it's celebrated by, you know, just a small, lovely group of people, but there's still, I think there's still a respect for people who try to make it outside the system, or at least I hope there yeah. is. And I've, I felt like a, a support from that community. I, I remember when I was a kid, because I've been watching films since, I mean, I was born in 71. So, so I was taking myself off on, on my own to watch Superman the movie and Close Encounters of the Third Kind. And oh, yeah. from, from, you know, from 
then till now, I've, I've always watched films, and I've gone through the, I need to watch this film, because it's big, and I only watch big films, I only watch films in space, now I love nothing more than, than indie films, yeah. you know, and it's, it's you put, uh, you know, like Buried, which, you know, Ryan Reynolds, put him in a coffin. That's it. He's in a coffin for 90 minutes. I'm glued. <laughs> I'm glued to it. Have a f- film like Open Water. Two people bobbing up and down in the water. Now and again, a shark pops up. I'm hooked. It's, I, I seem to have developed this super appreciation for independent films because they just have a different feel to them. They don't feel as polished. They feel a bit more jagged. And I love that. Oh, oh, I'm glad. Mm. <laughs> I'm glad you like unpolished. Uh, you'll like my stuff. Um, <laughs> yeah. Well, and also, you know, there's it's the market. I say this phrase so much because my job is in marketing and distribution, but the marketing is oversaturated. And so um, those trying to break through have to be more and more clever every single time and more and more subversive or really have these bold, quote unquote, bold dynamic voices or whatever it is. And so even though it's incredibly difficult for indie filmmakers these days, um it forces us to be incredibly creative so that's i guess the only good byproduct of the democratization of, of filmmaking which is kind of has has had some negative repercussions as of the past few years as well so what are some of your you've mentioned that you love rom-coms and stuff like what are some of your favorite movies mm-hmm. of all time if you were to go spend like six months on a desert island you know, that sort of thing. You just take your little core collection of films. What, Which ones do you like? Well, I'm a big fan of Whit Stillman. I mean, the thing is, I wouldn't take these movies on the desert island, right? Like, the movies that I say are, I wouldn't want to be at a desert island with. I think um, the movie I'd probably want to be on the desert island with is Broadcast News, yeah. which is, like, the good stock answer because it's respected and it's so enjoyable and just wonderful. But usually I end up like bending to my pretentiousness and I like will name drop other films <laughs> instead. Um, but broadcast news would be my desert Island film or something like I love, you know, again, Nora Ephron, you've got mail, slippers in Seattle, anything she's written or directed, um, except for bewitched probably. Uh, <laughs> and then, um, with Stillman, um, Hal Hartley, kind of these like atypical, weird, romantic, dark comedies. I'm just trying to think, like, and then also just like Elf, like just movies that make you feel good that are are romantic but come from like a family film perspective. Um, but I used to my favorite films used to be like Last Year at Marion Bad and Lady from Shanghai and The Third Man and all these like really substantial um foreign films or dramas and now i just like i just have one viewing in me for them right like i <laughs> yeah, can't like watch them over and over again. exactly so <laughs> i've given in to the fact that i just want to be entertained and and want to be i want my curiosity peaked for two hours instead of to um be pushed down into the ground for for, for those for three hours and do you find it easy to watch a film as a film now because obviously you know, when you've when you're a critic you would watch a film and you would go oh i could mention this and i could mention that you're a filmmaker you go oh i like that camera angle you know being a, be a festival judge do you find it easy to go right 
not doing any of that. I just want to watch a film and be entertained for the evening. Do you find it easy to switch off? Oh, yeah. Um, I've never... I mean, because I've been wanting to be a filmmaker since I was, like, 16, and prior to that, I wanted to be an actress. So it's like I've always watched films with, like, I guess somewhat of a discerning eye, but a great film will, will get you out of that mindset immediately. I'm trying to think of, like, a really good movie that I saw recently that could help remind me of just, like, the, the pure escapism of film. God, I've just seen a lot of crap lately. Oh. Um, <laughs> What is something good that I've seen? Oh, I really liked Happy Death Day, too. I know that's crazy to, like, say last year in Marion Bad and Happy Death Day, too, in the same sentence. But um, I thought that was so fun and so zany and so silly that I wasn't thinking about camera angles and I wasn't thinking about what is this film trying to say. You know, I was just being swept up in how adorable it was. Well, I sat and watched The Godfather Part 3 the other day, which I've seen before, but I haven't seen it for maybe 20 years. I thought, for some reason, I'll watch the third one. And I've really enjoyed it. I've I've enjoyed it in the past anyway, but that film does take a bit of a beating. Well, <laughs> it's, I think it's poor Sofia Coppola that gets the beating, right? I mean, like yeah. everything else, it's a, good, it's a good movie, but she just is slightly awkward in that role. And it's such a high-profile film that it's really kind of a shame. And I think it didn't help that she's Francis's daughter. So I think a lot of right. people thought, oh, she only got the role because of who her dad was, which there may be a certain element to that. But if, I mean, she also got the role because Winona Ryder backed out, I think, at the last minute, I think. So it's like, just give Sophie a break. She's not that right. bad. She saved she? the day. She took she a did. chance. We should, we should applaud her. <laughs> and now she's a great director. Oh, she's so, wonderful. She's know. one of our heroes. Yeah. She's but, great. Uh, yeah, no, I, I sat and watched The Godfather 3. I thoroughly enjoyed it. So it's, uh, And then I went to my workplace and told people I watched it. And half of them went, I've never heard of it. What is it? Which is just... What? That, that shows your age. I'm like, great. I need to get out of here. Because half, half of these people I work with, they, they were born after the first Toy Story came out. And that's just wrong. It's like, <laughs> no, go away. You know, they've not heard of Keanu Reeves, all sorts. It's quite, what? It's quite depressing. <laughs> but uh, oh, and then the, and then that's the other, the other, the, that's the other half, movie I saw um, was Always Be My Maybe. Did you see that? No, I haven't. No. Oh, Keanu's in that. That's the only reason why I interrupted you. I'm so sorry. Um, and they should go see that because they can be they can be reminded of the greatness of Keanu Reeves if they watch that movie. I think my greatness of Keanu currently is John Wick. Chapter three, Parabellum, which was just insane. That film was crazy. Oh, I didn't see that one yet. I've seen the first two, which, you know, I'm just in it for the dog. But um, but I heard that I don't think – does Chapter three have a dog? Like, Ch- is it worth it for more, me? More than, more than one dog. There's okay, that I might chapter, You will get your filament of dogs in Chapter three. <laughs> Good. I'm glad. <laughs> it, it's kind of like somebody turned the volume up on number two going, Num- you, number two is crazy? Nah. <laughs> Check this one out. You like that's insane. It's cool. very good. It's, uh, I'm interested. Yeah. I'll check it out. We it we do Netflix, film. so I'll do that. Yeah. Do you suffer from too many films to watch and not enough time, or how do you manage to schedule what you watch? Well, um, so today we're going to see Toy Story four. We're with my parents, and so we we scheduled the time to go see Toy Story four without my son, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is like crazy that we're Oops. using our one movie. <laughs> outing to go see a children's film without my son without the child <laughs> yeah without the kid um well we do netflix discs we do netflix streaming we have hulu we have all the streaming services and we watch something whenever we eat a meal so and usually before we go to bed 
So we're always watching something. So we definitely have the time to keep up with content, but um, it does sometimes feel like a, an assignment. Like I wrote this, uh, my tweet, I wrote this stupid tweet the other day and it was like being an adult is asking someone if they've seen something and then the response being, I'll check that out until yeah, you die. That. And then you never watched <laughs> it. Yep. And it's like, that's, I mean, like how many times has someone recommended Fleabag to me? It's like, I have been recommended Fleabag like 20 times in the past week. And it's like, I will watch it. But now it feels like this massive obligation. So we have the time. We just need to prioritize what we choose. Because right now I think my partner likes to watch a lot of Chuck Norris movies before we go to bed. So we're watching a lot of, you know, Chuck Norris instead of um, Fleabag right now. So, some people may be horrified at that statement, but I'm all right with it because I haven't seen <laughs> Fleabag and I have seen most of Chuck Norris movies, so I'm, I'm okay with that. But yeah, it's bad when somebody recommends a TV show because, they, oh, Supernatural, that's really good. Yeah, there's like 400,000 episodes. <laughs> I can't catch up with that. I don't mind Sometimes film recommendations because that's two hours. Yeah. That's, that's easier, but TV shows, I tend to stay away from that because there's too many. Um, a friend of mine, we, you know, he wanted to watch the, we watched Game of Thrones as a group and he wanted to watch the finale with us and he had never seen the series. So he took two weeks and watched the entire series and he like, I think it, he said it was, uh, the worst way it was said it was like incredibly painful exercise <laughs> because he was forced to watch like 10 hours of Game of Thrones every single day, wow. but he did it all so he could be part of the community to send the show off. So it's this. It can be really tough sometimes. I knew somebody that had started Game of Thrones. I think season eight had, had started on TV, and, and they were catching up on it. And I went, "So, what do you think of Game of Thrones so far?" And they went, "Oh, re- oh Sean Bean's great. He's he's a great <gasps> character." And I'm thinking, "Oh, oh. <laughs> oops." <laughs> oh no, that's sad. Oh well, he is great though. So what did you think of season eight? I, I'll go on record. I liked it. I actually preferred that to a lot of the other seasons, to be honest. But again, the internet was rather grumpy and seemed to be uh, a little bit mad at it. I'm trying to remember when I thought things went downhill for me. And it might have been seven and it might have been yeah. six. But for me, like I love the slow-paced funny dialogue, the like the wittiness of the show. And it became too plot heavy at a certain point because I think they just were rushing to finish the show um or I or like I mean this has been said very often like they transported themselves from location to location way too quickly within the confines of the show and all these things like I just miss them talking um talk just the characters talking to each other I missed a lot of that so I enjoyed it except for that was missing I remember the the journey speed being a bit strange when they're having a big battle on the ice. <laughs> and right. It's like somebody spent however many weeks getting there, and then somebody's like, "I'll go get help." And then next thing, <laughs> next thing, they've they've got back to where they're going, and they're coming back with help. You're like, oh, I "Don't know if that kind of works." <laughs> no, it's it's very convenient, creative geography. But like, there were a few really good moments uh, between. I'm trying to remember. Like, there's a scene with um, Tyrion and. God, who is Tyrion sit down by the fire with? There's just this like these wonderful moments, and then like Brienne of Tarth like definitely yeah. upped her game in this last season, so that made me incredibly happy because she's my favorite character. Um, so there were like pluses, but 
you know, I was disappointed. What, what were other things that ended this year? That I was <laughs> that's quite a lot, isn't it? So, well, we've had a yeah. season of Stranger Things, so that's ended oh, till, yeah, till next year. Yeah, that too. Yeah. Uh, Orange oh, well. is New Black is finishing next week, isn't it? We get it. So that will be the final I season of that. that. Do you watch that? Uh, yeah, I'm up to date on that one. We watched the, the last season probably about a month ago because we were a little bit behind, but we're up to date. I think it's probably time for that show to end. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. It feels like I'm good. It's okay. Just uh, <laughs> let me go. <laughs> yeah, let me go. Yep. <laughs> but it was. Uh, I'm trying. Yeah, I'm trying to think what else has ended. The Walking Dead is is never going to end. I don't think ever. My partner is a completionist, so he has to finish things, and I just want to walk away. And we we we've committed ourselves to The Walking Dead, and it's just like. It's a chore. It's a chore to watch it now is how I feel. But I'm sure someone will get angry at me for that statement. No, I kind of stopped watching it because there was, you know, seasons ago, there was a scene with a horse where I thought there's no reason to do that to a horse. So I fell out with the show for a couple of oh. a couple of seasons. And then I went back into it again. And then there was uh, another animal got killed in it. I'm like, right, I'm done. <laughs> Humans, I'm are okay. Are you a vegetarian? Or are you... No, not no, not at all. I just, you know, I've had pets oh. and stuff in the past, and I think it sort of yeah. still lingers because I've lost them. But you know, we can watch things where humans are killed left, right, and centre. But at the moment, somebody, you watch John Wick. You know, the one person you're worried about in John Wick is like, don't hurt the dog, don't, don't hurt, hurt the dog. Oh my god, it was traumatic. Um... <laughs> No, I get you. I get you. I, I I can't stand. And now again, like now that I'm a new mom, it's like there's this. Ins- I'm like way more sensitive than I used to be. Like my favorite director used to be Lars von Trier, and like I love him. I love him. I love the way he like just ruins his audience. Like he just wants to just upset everyone. And now I watch like the first five minutes of Chernobyl, and I I had to turn it off. Like this sensibility where like I wanted to be offended or I wanted to be pushed to different boundaries is gone now. And it's now replaced with like this new cushy sensitivity that I have, which is really boring. But it does make me like I'm now in the beginning where I'm regaining all my tolerance for all of these things. And I don't know if I'll ever get back what I used to have. So you're like, no Chernobyl, bring me Toy Story 4, please. Yeah. <laughs> is that a shame? It's like, what has happened to me? Oh, well. Ch- Chernobyl is amazing. It is such a... People told me, because I didn't watch it week to week, I got the screener disc sent through, because it's, it's out on DVD here um, in the UK, and they sent me that, so I'm like, right, I'm just going to watch them all in short succession. So I started watching it about quarter to 12 in the daytime. I thought, I'm just going to watch the first one. And by probably about half seven that night, I'd watched the whole series in oh just God. one. It works so well as a five-hour movie. And it, it does have its graphic scenes in it, but it's not as graphic as people have have told you it is. Because people were telling me, oh, this is the most violent thing I've ever seen. It's horrific. Oh, don't watch it while you're eating anything. And there, there are some very uncomfortable scenes in it, but it's the subject matter that's more disturbing than what you're going to see on screen. But it is, I'm glad to see it's been Emmy nominated because it definitely oh, yeah. deserves it. It's such well, a it's good not, show. It's not the graphicness that bothers me. I don't think, I think my tolerance, I never lost my tolerance for that. Like I've always been really into gore and gross out stuff and practical effects. And it's like now that I have a kid, like we have poop, we have snot, we have all these things. Like I'm, I, <laughs> I'm still there. But it's just the idea of like, um, 
being and you know knowing what's what's happening more than the characters do and like don't go in that room to like get out of it like right. you're just looking at this like slow moving train crash and you can't do anything and it's uh it's really hard to watch for me and there is a lot of that in Chernobyl. He'd be like, "Just go, go check on the nuclear reactor. No right. problem. I'll be back in a minute. Will I get in? Will I get sick if I go in there? No, no, you'll be fine. And you are watching it going. You go through that. Oh, road, you're you're gone. It's, I can't. There, is, there is a lot of that in it. But, uh, yeah, maybe in ten years, just not right now. Yeah, because I remember <laughs> Chernobyl when it happened. I was at school in oh. Scotland, and we were all looking at clouds up up in the sky, going. Is that one because it was a whole mid eighties and a nuclear threat and you know you, you seem to be under the impression of if one nuclear bomb went off anywhere on planet Earth the whole planet was dead that sort of thing yeah. and uh, so we yeah. were very very nervous so it was quite it was interesting and and scary to watch. I mean, same thing with September 11th. I remember September 11th happened, and then I remember looking up at the sky and seeing like you know uh, military. Air, you know, air, whatever air, I don't know what kind of aircraft it was, but them going across the sky and being like, well, are they going? Like, what's happening? What's going to happen to me now? Because this, you feel like your innocence is, is broached in some way when you learn about those kind of things. And it's a hard battle to accept <laughs> that anything could happen at any moment. And you sort of, it changed the whole, I mean, it's sort of disasters of that level do change the, the, the way you watch things anyway. It's sort of pre- 9-11 or preaching or but you would watch a film about that subject matter and you'd be like yay go on where's Chuck Norris and where's Arnie and and now you watch films you that that is the that is, that is a drama that is not an action film and it, it changes the you know the way that we watch things so it's yeah Chernobyl's not a happy show it's very good but you're not going to come away with it going well I should have brought more popcorn I love this it's so funny like I, in expecting this this podcast, I was like, all right, well, we're going to talk about the film and we're going to talk about my career. And it's like, no, we're just talking about Chernobyl. <laughs> <laughs> Chernobyl and Game of Thrones and your friend binge watching it, Toy Story. We've, we've talked about poop. <laughs> so we're doing well. We have the breadth of every conversation topic in the space of like 40 minutes. It's pretty, pretty impressive. <laughs> it was uh, sort of when I have guests and stuff on, they will say, right, so is there a list of questions you're going to ask? I'm like, I don't even know what they are. So I'm not going to send you a list of them because they will just, <laughs> they will come out of the woodwork. <laughs> well, that's okay. That's healthy. That's how conversations go. I feel like I have more conversations via podcasts than I do in real life now because like every day it's like, get on your computer, G chat, do your, you know, 30 assignments for work go home, watch something like we're barely having these like long conversations anymore. And this is like the, the new outlet to have a long conversation. You have to schedule it, put it in your calendar and then record it for posterity. Yep. So we will talk about your films. I oh, we don't have to. No, I don't mind. I mean, I'm interested to learn about them anyway, because it's like, so you, you did your first one. Yes. <laughs> what What was the biggest thing you learned from your first film that you then took on to the second one? And was there ever a point where you go, right, I've done one now. I'm all right. I'm good. <laughs> I'm scared. Well, um, I mean, it is kind of like a dare, right? You you make a film and you say, like, can I? Am I capable of doing this? And then you make one and you feel like, oh, well, I feel a tremendous sense of relief that I'm capable of doing this. And then you're like, well, I'm not quite sure. Was that a fluke? I'm going to make a second one. And that's kind of what happened is that um, I've always wanted to be, you know, want to be in film, but 
wanted to be a filmmaker since I was 16. And I almost felt like making the first one was an accident or just very fortunate. And so I thought, I want to make a second one to see if I really can do this still and to set myself apart. Because I think the more features you make, especially as a female director, the more you traffic in more and more unique circles, if that makes sense. Like there's not a lot of women that have directed like 40 features in their life. Um, And then you look at like Woody Allen, who's made one like every year for the past, like however many years. Um, But in terms of things that I learned, um, I learned that a happy crew is an efficient, kind crew (laughs) and, you know, never to go over, never, you know, always to make sure the food is good. Um, try to reduce company moves, reduce night shoots, do whatever you can to find, you know, kind crew member who, kind kind crew members who are willing to take the pay cut and, and work with you on your expedited timeline. Um, and the importance of cast, you know, the, the only reason my first feature did as well as it did was because um, of, of who I cast in it. And so I, I paid a lot of attention to the cast of the second feature as well. Yeah. Cause you realize from the first one, ah, this helped. I will make sure this helps more on the second one. Yeah. When I talk to independent filmmakers, you know, there's a lot of us, as you know, very well, um, who want to make content and don't have a lot of resources at their disposal. And so they want to cast, you know, who they have access to. And because there's so much content in the world, it's really a quite bad decision to do that. I think the only way to break through unless you win the lottery and your film is just like the perfect combination of writing, directing, production is that, you know, all these fabulous elements come together and you just really knock it out of the park which I feel like is a lottery ticket um, in terms of its rarity, you have to think of either genre or cast uh, um, to make yourself, uh, you know, to set yourself apart. It's really kind of a shame, but um, I wish we could just make movies how we wanted to with who we wanted to and not worry about these kind of things, but we do have to. So it was, um, it's actually three years ago, near enough to this day, where I finished shooting my first documentary type thing, and it was that was a whole bunch of accidents that just happened. I I, I always wanted to make a documentary about going to various comic cons because there's quite a lot of them in the UK and I've always done them. So yeah. I thought, right, I've got I've got a little camcorder. I go to these things. Why don't I just I've got press access to these, so I can get all sorts of cameos in this thing, and I could just ask them what it's like to be a Comic Con. So I decided to start shooting this this documentary called Experiencing Comic Con, which was all set in like Manchester and London and Birmingham and stuff like that. And I ended up getting a gig uh, hosting seven or eight Q and A panels in a, in the same day at this little convention in Wales. That mm. was, it was his first year, and it was all people from Doctor Who. There was uh, people from Red Dwarf. <gasps> I love Doctor Who. Stuff. It was great. It's how I've, I've met so many Doctor Who people over the years, Game of Thrones people and stuff. So I thought, right, well, maybe that could be the angle. Maybe I'll, I will film some of the Comic-Con thing when I'm a guest, you know, just sort of walking around as a member of the public, so I get that angle. And then I'm, I'm press at another one, so I could film some from that angle and in a paddle host and I could do it for that. There's my film. Brilliant. Got it all planned. And the cameraman decided to go out for some lunch 
and he was chasing after uh, a woman that he quite liked, so he disappeared and ended up not filming half of the stuff that I was on stage <gasps> doing. Oh, and no. I found out at the end, so I'd shot maybe two-thirds of this thing over two or three years, and I'm thinking, I have no ending. I have absolutely no ending because this event is over and I've done all the panel hosting. How do I end this thing? So I saved up a bunch of money and me and my partner, we, we went off to San Diego Comic Con, which was three years ago today. We, you know, this yeah. week, we went over there and I shot, effectively, experience at Comic Con over there. But I had no ending for this film and it was the scariest thing ever. But it was fun. But it makes me sad because Comic Con's on and I'm not there. I, I want to be there every single year because <laughs> it was so oh much fun. Oh my gosh! I once drove to Comic Con, saw the crowds, turned around, and drove back. And it's like a three-hour drive. Um, yeah, Comic Con's not for me. <laughs> it's like a little oh. too intimidating in terms of just like I don't love crowds. Um, well, yeah, and I, I think you knew in making this documentary that you would have to find something. Like, you know, like famous actors or famous, you know, TV, whatever it is to help with audience building and distribution to connect the film with an audience. And so that was very smart of you to do that. I ended up just sticking it on YouTube because it's like, oh, "Oh, fine, it's done. It'll go on there. So it's on there. But it was it's the weirdest thing ever because it's got it's it's my first ever film and it's got a Stan Lee cameo, which I'm quite. I'm quite happy about that because I was walking through the crowds were insane on the Saturday. If you want the big crowds, go on the Saturday. If you want it a little bit quieter, go on the, the Thursday after the preview oh. nights. It is a lot quieter. We went straight into Hall H on the Thursday without any problem whatsoever. Sat down, you know, Joseph Gordon-Levitt was there, Oliver Stone, which was, he was one of my idols. I'm like, I'm in the same room as Oliver Stone. This is insane. Oh. Oh. So that was one of my uh, bucket list moments. Didn't meet him, but I was sat in the same room, so I'm, I'm good with that. But uh, yeah, Saturday I went in on my own and the crowds were crazy. And we ended, I ended up walking through because I wanted to do a single shot around the entire exhibit floor because then I was going to speed this shot up over the end credits and it was going to be like one and a half minutes of this one and a half hour shot. And it kind of works. It looks good. But I got stuck in a crowd. I'm thinking, why why are people not moving? I don't understand why people aren't moving. And I put the camera up, flipped the viewfinder down so I could see, tilted it to my left. I'm like, oh yeah, Stan Lee's about two feet away from me. That was very strange. (laughs) Filmed it. So yeah, my first ever film, Stan Lee cameo. Yeah, like a like a Marvel film. You got your it's, Stan Lee moment. Me and Marvel are, are exactly the same. We, <laughs> you know, we we both have that's probably the only thing we have in common with each other. I think is we both have Stan Lee cameos. <laughs> but it was so. Let's talk bread and butter. Sure. Y- your first film. How? How? Uh, I'm trying to think of a phrase. Pitch me bread and butter. So if somebody's not heard of it. Yeah. Um, I always say it's an anti-romantic comedy uh, because though I love romantic comedies, I think they were responsible for me being a little bit deluded uh, when it came to high school and dating and things like that. So I tried to make a romantic comedy that uh, would have been a little bit healthier for me as a 16-year-old. Yeah. And so that's the the big picture pitch. And um, you know, the plot is um, a woman who's in her early 30s. I think she's turning 30 is uh, effectively a really late bloomer. And all all of a sudden she gets pursued by two men who are um, 
different sides of the same coin. One is like really regimented and in therapy and the other one really embraces his insanity and um, is a little bit more free and unstable. So it's deals with mental health. It deals with um, repressive, you know, repressed characters and um, you know, it's got like a folk folk indie folk soundtrack and Bobby Moynihan is in it and Lauren Lapkus is in it. And our lead is this fabulous woman named Christine Weather up and uh, it was on Hulu and was distributed by the orchard and it did really quite well. And the, did you read the reviews? Cause we've talked about reviews and stuff. Did you nervously read them or. I mean, I begged people to review it, but I really didn't get many reviews because we didn't do a theatrical and, the biggest festival, though I loved this festival, um, the biggest festival we played was Woodstock. So it's not like we played Sundance or South by or, and we didn't, you know, we didn't pay a publicist or anything like that. So I didn't get many reviews, but when the orchard distributed the film, um, they worked with, um, bustle.com, which is like a really cool website for young women. And they wrote a feature article about how much masturbation is on our film. <laughs> and um, which I loved because it was very sex positive and they recognized what we were doing. And um, I'm very proud of that. They said it was like a must watch film for women everywhere. And that's like the coolest thing anyone could ever say. So nice. Good, good. And that's still, is it still on Hulu or is it still on video on demand? It's on VOD. It's not on Hulu. We had like a two-year contract with Hulu and it's expired. So it's on, you know, iTunes, Google Play, Xbox, those things, Amazon. Um, but, you know, I also, if, even though I don't want to devalue content anymore, if people just want to ask me for the link, I'm always happy to just share the link. Well, unconnected to Bread and Butter, if you ever want anything reviewing, let me know and I will happily Oh, thank you. I'm going to write that out. (laughs) Thank you. I'll get like 500 films in my inbox now. It's like, ah. Oh, that's (laughs) that's fantastic. You got lots of I will genuinely have, I love watching, I love watching films I don't really know anything about. And I I think that's the problem with a lot of the big films nowadays. You know, you've seen 15 trailers, you've read all, you know, You've seen cast photos and people have talked about it and I love nothing more than to put a film on and I'll I'll know the basic pitch of it but just not to know where the film's headed to still keep the the magic of movies. I'm with you. I love that too. I think trailers give away too much. I don't tend to watch trailers. Say now I watched the Top Gun 2 trailer twice yesterday and I'm like, I'm in. <laughs> but even though I know I was going to watch the film anyway, for some reason I, I, I broke my own rule and watched the trailer. But uh, I won't watch any more trailers because I'm good. I've, I, I have faith in Tom Cruise. I'm fine. I will watch the film when it comes out next year. But, uh, <laughs> so then we move on to Speed of Life, which yeah. this was the one that I've seen mentioned on Twitter uh, yes. by yourself. So where do we stand with Speed of Life? Uh, We're in the festival circuit right now. We premiered at Atlanta. We've only played U.S. festivals. Um, Atlanta, Provincetown. um, We have a few festivals coming up in the fall. They're all like really wonderful top of that mid-tier festival, which is a really specific way to talk about your festival run. But I'm just really cognizant of that. (laughs) And... um, we are signing with a distributor soon and we have a 
we're possibly going to work with a blockchain company to also release the film on a blockchain platform, which is very cool. Um, so we're gearing up for distribution right now. Exciting and scary times, isn't it? Well, to me, it's like the movie's done. I'm proud of it. I know exactly, or I think I know exactly what it is. Um, I had one of the festivals, they reached out to me and they wrote a synopsis for the film and it thrilled me um, because they said things that I never thought anyone would notice in the synopsis. So for me, it's like those little moments that feel fantastic, but I don't feel like you say exciting and it's like, yeah, I guess it's exciting, but everything is really strategic right now. So there's like a lack of emotionality to the experience, which is a little safer for me. Yeah. This is, I suppose once the film's done, it becomes all about the business side of things, doesn't it then? Yeah. And, and setting yourself apart. And, um, I work in distribution. So like, I'm not, you know, uh, the best person for it, but I, at least I feel prepared to, put it out into the world and in the right way and then shift on to lady parts which is your next film well i'm attached to direct this film called lady parts we're supposed to mm-hmm. shoot in december i really hope we do um <laughs> we'll see what happens and it's the first film i'm directing that i haven't written every single thing i've ever done i've the writer and and the lead actress actually pitched um to me to, to come on board. And she's also producing it. And it's about a woman who she gets preventative surgery to have her, um, her organs removed to avoid a cancer diagnosis. And she takes those organs home with her and they start talking to her. So Uh, yeah, it's, um, it's like a dark cancer comedy and we're going to use practical effects with like, you know, with the organ puppets and it's super weird and, and also wonderful. And, um, I'm really excited about it. It does sound wonderfully bizarre. I'll give you that. Yeah. It's, it's like a lot of the time you go, Oh, this kind of sounds a bit like, I can't think of anything that this sounds a bit like. I mean, like Avenue Q, I don't know. I mean, it's like Avenue Q meets the big sick meets like um, beginners. You know, it's like there's actually some wonderful dramatic bits in there. And the puppets are kind of the icing on the cake. But um, but it is what draws. It's why I want to make the film is like these puppets. <laughs> so we'll see. Do you think it will be easier for you to direct? you know, uh, a project that you've written or not written? Because obviously it will have a very different feel to it, I would think, where you go, I've written this, I've I've had it in my head for years and years since I first came up with this idea, it's been in my brain, I know what I'm going to shoot, to then go, right, here's something somebody else has written. What, what do you yeah. think you'll feel with the difference on that? It has been easier because the things that I struggle with the most are answers to questions that come from story and theme and character when I write something, because I write in a very like fluid place. I just write what's in my head. It comes out on the page. I edit it. I edit it and I edit it. But it's not like I have an agenda when I write. I literally just vomit out what comes to me. And when you're working with a real writer or what I, I mean, I don't. I don't consider myself a real writer. I consider this guy a real writer. And we were, we pitched to a production company the other day and he 
found out that they asked us questions about theme and character and, and climax and all these things. And he's like, if you want help with those answers, I'm here. And you're like, I, I just kept thinking, like, you mean I can cheat? Like, I could just ask you the answers to these questions? And, like, that's so fantastic to me. He wrote up, like, an entire essay of why he made, you know, five different decisions he did and why the character does this and what the movie means to him. And that's very exciting for me is to hear his answers and feel like I have a foundation for when actors ask me questions about their characters instead of me saying, well, because I wanted to see that. Yeah, because I wrote it. Okay, that's yeah. why. <laughs> I don't know. Just say the lines. Right, exactly. <laughs> oh, but it is, I mean, yeah, I'm sort of thinking back to when I was quote-unquote directing and it was, you know, the actress would say to me, should I do it this way? And I'm like, uh, okay. <laughs> it's like, we'll do it both ways. So I shot yeah. pretty much every rehearsal, every take. I think the most we did was maybe three of any take anyway because it was shot very, very fast. But I haven't quite got that answers bit yet. I'm not like, well, this is exactly why this needs to be in here because that's what this means. It's like, uh, yeah, we could try that. It's, that's the it'll work. Thing. Yeah, like actors really need very specific answers. And as a director, like we don't know how they're going to interpret that adjustment. So it it could it could magic could happen if you say do it like you're uh you know ernie for burton ernie you know like whatever it is whatever zany adjustment you give could uh result in a really magical performance and so we want to have that like liberal attitude but like all the actors i've worked with they want like very specific answers all the time and so i just want to i want to have answers for them and i don't always have them that's because everybody looks to you, I suppose, isn't it? Like, you're the director. You know everything. Tell us. It's like show us, show us the way. <laughs> we find things out in the edit room. You know, that's I totally agree. You, you should do it like 15 different ways if you have the time and energy and the money. And then you could create something really wonderful in post-production. Um, but the actors don't want – you know, I had an actor that I worked with who wouldn't do wild lines. You know, when you just um, – when you say the lines just because if – you know, if your sound is bad, you secure a few lines of dialogue in a very controlled atmosphere um, so that you have them for post-production. And she wouldn't do wild lines because she thought that that was taking the scene out of context and she wasn't going to give a performance that didn't come from beginning to end. And I, it's like, what do you say to that? Like, <laughs> that's a, such a wonderful process that they're going through, but film is also a technical art too. And you need things that sound good and you need things that look good. And you might have to do things 15 times because of that. And it's always a negotiation is what I'm saying. Well, I was doing one of the final shots of my film and it was a scene where somebody gets their head bashed in with a claw hammer. <laughs> and it was bear, bear in mind, this is super low budget. This is <laughs> I think the 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 most expense on this film, other than the camera equipment, was the the couple of hundred pounds that it cost to rent the house for two days. We stayed there for a holiday and set dressed it and stuff. And yes. I ended up lying on the bed, pretending to be this person that got their head bashed in with a um, a, a watermelon held just on my chest with a camera in the left hand while this <laughs> while this kid's swinging an actual claw hammer to. to 
make contact with this watermelon several times and she did she did it a few times but it's like so this is where i'm headed is it i'm lying here in bed there's a kid hitting me in the chest on the watermelon with an actual not a prop hammer this was a full steel hammer because i didn't have the budget to get a prop one but she she didn't break any ribs on me so i was quite yeah it was uh you've, you've got to learn to think quick i think haven't you well, and I, I'm going to venture a guess, but I think that you probably, there was like a thrill in the taking the risk for you. And I think it's, maybe I'm wrong, but I think that we are willing to take a lot more risks if it's for the sake of a film sometimes. And um, there's an excitement to that. So I I understand why you would do that, even though I think it's uh, dangerous. <laughs> well, it was the, uh, the, 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 the gentleman that was playing the person who I was playing originally he right. was i think he was tired or something i mean he's not not a professional actor but he's acted in small bits before but it was a case of yep you you, you could play the role it's fine you know and he he was laughing and he couldn't get you know he was messing the lines up and not drastically but he just could not not laugh and you think this thing's got to finish we've got to wrap up in like 20 minutes and he's not getting this is the pivotal scene of the whole thing so i'm like right you you go in the corner you read your lines you're wired up with a microphone so it's fine you're you're dying. i'll play you give me that watermelon <laughs> so it's, it was a case of right this needs to be done i will just like right just swing the hammer right no harder than that and i don't think i thought if this goes a bit wrong i'm gonna either get a claw hammer in the head oh. or i'm gonna end up with some broken ribs but everything was fine because she was very professional and clearly knew how to swing a hammer yeah. it's, uh, it's it's just all these wonderful little stories when when i watch the film i'll be like yeah people may watch it and they don't realize what went into that i could have died well i'm glad you didn't and it's a I, hilarious story but yes it's really ridiculous <laughs> so, I, I tried i had two watermelons and two cabbages and the, the cabbage was tightly wrapped in clay films. Like, right, which one is going to sound most like a human head being bashed with a hammer? And I think we tried it with the cabbage and we tried it with watermelon. I think the cabbage was slightly better, actually. So I may end up using the cabbage takes because that had more of a dull thud, which is, uh, sounded a bit skull-like. But yeah, that, that was how I spent one of my Saturday afternoons. Well, see, <laughs> yeah, I would like to see that one. You're going to have to share that one with everyone, especially me. Know. I've kept all the outtakes. So I, I really wanted to just shoot all the behind-the-scenes stuff because I'm I'm under no illusion that I know exactly what I'm doing. I'm learning as I go along, and I'm recording everything for everybody's entertainment. So <laughs> it's fun. It's I'm, not, I'm not shy. <laughs> Good. You're, you're in the right business. Yeah, definitely. Um, so, yeah, I had... Where did... This is. I had a few questions, and then we're, I've just tangented all over the place, and it's okay. great, and I, and I love it. So, uh, so yeah, Sundance. That was it. So, what was <laughs> what was your? I had a question going. What was? Yeah, that was it. What is the Sundance Creative Distribution Initiative? Because that was genuinely. It's not like hmm, I'll think of a question to ask. I read about it. I'm like, I actually want to know what that is because I don't know. Well, um, it's a department that's actually uh, evolving a little bit right now. So I don't know when this podcast is going to come out, but it might exist in a different form when um, when this podcast is broadcast. This will uh, be out in about two days. This is how fast I, I put it. <laughs> I might even be out tomorrow. Probably what? will be out tomorrow. So it'll be out very fast. Well, honestly, the answer still still stays the same. <laughs> um, so it may, cha- may have changed now. 
yeah, uh, while we're talking. I'm not really allowed to talk about it, so I have no. to be super vague. Um, but the intention of the department was to cr- provide a distribution support for Sundance alumni. And then we started a fellowship that we opened to the public that um, offered three films, three to four films a year, a grant to self-distribute their films. And it, it was really wonderful. And um, we worked with about five five filmmakers, six, about six filmmakers now, um, on self-releasing their work. And then we, we collect all, you know, the process that they went through. We, we document it and then we publish it into case studies for people to read. And, uh, I was, I'm, I am slash was really proud to be a part of it. So. Nice. So the, it, that's kind of like what I'm doing with my outtakes. I'm keeping it all so people can watch it and go, right, don't do that. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's a learning experience. Yeah. yeah. Any Anytime you could take your film and, and turn it in, into an educational entity, I think is really important. Um, I mean, that's what I did with Bread and Butter. I, you know, I just had this kind of goofy film, but then I decided, well, if I keep talking about it, um, maybe people will watch it just to learn from me. And I think we've got more people who watch the film just because they want to see how we did for what we did, you know, for our budget than um, people who just genuinely wanted to see the film. Well, I will definitely be watching Bread and Butter at some point soon. And and I will review it, I promise. (laughs) Oh, thank you. Definitely. But uh, people have asked me about my short films and stuff. They're like, oh, are you going to put it on YouTube? And I'm thinking, no. No, I did that last time. Did that with a Comic-Con one. So I'm going to be putting this one uh, into various festivals. There's a few that I work with in the UK <laughs> where I know people in there. I'm like, how, how, how does this work? So I'm, I'm going to try and go the full hog with this one and just follow that journey rather than just take the lazy route and go, I'll upload it so people can watch it on YouTube. So I think uh, that's I want uh, I want the whole experience. Plus, <laughs> I think the girl in it is amazing. So I really want to showcase her. Isn't that nice? Like, in what industry are we like, wow, this person's so great. I want to promote them. Like, I really don't know, you know, in the corporate world, in the nonprofit world, I don't know a situation where we're like, oh, let's reward this person for all of the efforts and their talents. I just, it's a doggy dog world. But in film, the director really wants to provide um, exposure for great actors. I think that's really cool. I think it's my because my instinct and my comfort zone is publicity i love i love hanging around with filmmakers and then going right so oh, i've watched your film and let me talk about it and I, I kind of you know they give me a nice little sort of pat on the head going thank you i like that review it makes me feel good i enjoy it because it's like for a movie geek to be able to hang around with people that makes make movies it's amazing there there's no people complain oh i've not been paid for my reviews i i do get paid i get to hang around with filmmakers i get to watch films in advance i get to go to san diego comic-con and and all this so that's my currency so if i can help other people out there's uh there was a guy that i worked with on my day job slash night job and he was a musician and or he still is a musician and i remember when i first got to know him a couple of years ago so what do you do he said oh i'm a musician and you go oh okay everybody's a musician or everybody's a filmmaker everybody's an actor you go oh okay right if you've you done anything or did you just think you're a musician and he sent me some of his songs and i went in the day after i've been listening to this i said damn i said i don't mean to be mean i said but uh, but i listened to some of your songs last night and went, oh go on what do you think <laughs> i went 
well, there's, there's no real way to say this. I said, but anyway, you didn't like it, did you? I went, no, just bear with me. I said, but how does that voice come out of you? <laughs> it was amazing. <laughs> the the music blew me away. Aww. So it was, uh, when I was putting this sort of short film together on page form, I thought I really want to use one of his songs for two reasons. One, I really like his songs. And two, I'd probably be able to get it cheap because <laughs> I know him. So I said, look, how much do you want for me to use one of your songs? And he said, well, I'll send you... 20 of them choose whatever you want and use it in the films it's fine i'm not bothered because you will help publicize it so he gave me a big list of songs and i think i picked about four or five and there's one specific one that's at the end and every single i'm still listening to the song hundreds of times it still gives me goosebumps and this was the one shot in the film where i thought i need to make that perfect because if the music fits the visuals yeah, I'll be I'll be happy, and his music will be amazing, and it kind of works. I was the shot did work, and it still gives me goosebumps. So it's kind of like I want to showcase this actress, but I really want to showcase this musician as well. So, That's awesome. Because you know, people will watch the film and go, "She's great," and I love that song. They 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 won't look at me, and I'm okay with that. <laughs> it's still <laughs> too early for me to go. I'm a director. Well, you yeah. also made the decision to incorporate her and incorporate the music, so it's you too. Yeah. Yes, I'll take a little bit, little bit of credit, but they get more. <laughs> their their stuff—it's uh, it's impressive. But so, when are you watching Toy Story Four? Is that later today? It's actually yeah, we're um, in a few minutes. Okay, that's okay. <laughs> in a few minutes, I have to uh, use the restroom, and then I'll get the baby, change him, and then we'll go to the mall. And we're leaving my my baby with my parents. We're in um, Marin County, California, right now, and seeing Toy Story 4, which I really just don't care about seeing, but it'll be nice to be away from the baby and just remember what it's like to not have a baby for an hour and then come back because we'll probably miss the baby. Good things are, yeah, just don't be running out of the cinema every 10 minutes to check on the baby. Don't right. so just, just have like a couple of hours off and have your phone on vibrate. So, if, you know, if anybody needs to phone you, then that your leg will vibrate and you go right i need to go check it don't don't check your phone every two minutes but i've heard good things about toy story 4 i think you will enjoy it oh thank you <laughs> I and, hope uh, so. you will fall in love with sporky who's actually a fork but he's called spork go figure what that's crazy yes. yeah <laughs> <laughs> but we shall have to have periodic catch-ups on podcast if you're up for that so hopefully this one hasn't been too painful for you no this Not has been great I'm actually making a note to myself to put a calendar entry in my calendar to bug you in a few weeks. And that genuinely, if you if you need anything reviewing or anything sharing or anything, because I have the podcast, the website, the social media channels, etc. So just do do feel free to bug me. Thank you. And we promote anyone who promotes us. So, you know, I mean, or even if you don't like the movie, I'm just saying, like, we promote anyone who's willing to, like, give, give our, our film a little exposure. I'm sure I will like the film, but yeah, so don't be <laughs> don't be worried, don't be nervous. So, well, I shall let you go to the restroom, and then you can toddle off and go watch Toy Story Four. But thank you very much, Liz, for taking some time out and having thank a catch so up much. with me. And I will tag you into this episode, which will go online more than likely tomorrow. Amazing. Well, I'll talk to so, you soon then. You will enjoy your movie. Okay. And, uh, take care. Bye. Okay. Bye bye. <laughs>